0: And it's also big, like the big conventional ovens you have in America. We, those are very uncommon here. So you have to like, use, it's like a really special method. You have to try to to cook them using like flower pots and all this. And it's a whole big thing.
1: Yeah. Wow. I can't wait to hear more about.
0: I, I, I've never done it myself. I just know from like looking it up <laughs> and hearing other people do it. But it, you can look it up after like, you know you know, cooking a turkey in Japan or something like that. You'll find lots of videos and instructions. <laughs> I'm sure there's like it.
1: 37 TikToks on it.
0: <laughs> Probably. But, yeah. But it involves flower pots. It does. Yeah. I don't know how it works, but it does. Um, <laughs> actually, at my school Christmas party, they had a turkey. So we already had I got to have turkey. Already. So
2: someone there cooked it using flower pots.
0: Someone cooked it somehow. I'm not sure. how. <laughs> Where did they find the turkey? He's got a friend in America who sends him one every year. Oh my god. Oh wow.
2: <laughs> I c I can't imagine having that be that important to me that I would have someone send a frozen bird to me internationally. Like I mean, I like turkey as much as the next person, but <laughs> I don't. There is
0: um well if you go to if you're a Costco nearby, they've got it they've got turkey stuff at Costco. I don't know if they've got whole turkeys, they've got like turkey breast and, and stuff like that. Um but the nearest Costco is like two hours away from us.
1: Oh my god. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: We will make a run up there like two or three times a year and just like stock up. Sure. Are
1: you okay? That <laughs> <Not> being so <laughs> close. No Costco's <laughs> and no turkeys? My God. <laughs> Thank God for America. Am I right? <laughs> in love, in love with movies, in love, in in, 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 in love, in
2: love. Danny. Da, da, da. Welcome, movie lovers, to In Love with Movies.
1: <laughs> I'm Danny.
2: And I'm Nick. And this is the first time we've not done some weird bit with that for almost a year. Yep. What is this podcast, Danny? What do we do here?
1: <laughs> this is In Love with Movies, talking about movies. And what else are we talking about, Nick?
2: Believe it or not, Love. It's right there in the title.
1: Believe it or not. Sorry, my mind is just blown from the, the opening conversation we had. Off. I have a lot of uh, questions for you, Perry. Nothing so, to do with love or movies, mostly about retail. We need to get to this
2: <laughs> so that we can introduce our guest uh, oh, yes, that, yes, yes, that he might have a little bit more to say. <laughs> uh, we are joined today by a fellow podcaster, uh, someone who I have gotten a chance to talk to before about movies. And we'll get into a little bit of more of those specifics, but the host of the Superhero Cinephiles podcast. Perry Constantine. Is it Constantine or Constantine? I just now realized Constantine. It. Constantine. Constantine. Like Yo, the
1: what a weird way for you to... <laughs> to say Constantine. Who said that?
2: Okay, I think it was it's because- It's the British, it's the British
0: version. The British do. way they say it Constantine.
2: And and speaking of British, it was because people were discussing Keanu Reeves returning for a sequel to his Constantine movie. And technically, I guess that would be how you would pronounce it because that character is supposed to be British. Oh. Well. Mm.
0: My bad. Yeah, in the comics, it's John Constantine.
2: So we will save that for uh, <laughs> Perry's podcast.
1: This is why I'm not on your podcast.
2: <laughs> Perry, uh, thanks for joining us. Welcome. Uh, what else do you have to maybe tell the listeners about yourself? Anything you want to make sure that they're aware of or places that they can get to know you better?
0: Well, like you mentioned, uh, Superhero Cinephiles podcast, superhero Um, And it's like it sounds it's a it's a podcast where we talk about superhero movies superhero tv shows anything having to do with superheroes really uh nick's been on once already to talk about jumper and he's coming on again uh pretty soon to talk about ripd um and he's also been on we got a patreon exclusive show where we talk about comic books and he came on that one to talk about uh the first invincible volume i think it was
2: right it was indeed and i will say in terms of things that are actually quality You're going to have to go behind the Patreon wall to hear us discussing (laughs) something that is good. (laughs)
0: The jumper conversation was a lot of fun, though, so I I will
2: say that. Just going to say, you will learn that this on this podcast, if you listen to us and our listeners uh, are familiar with this, sometimes we talk about movies that are maybe not that amazing, (laughs) falling for Christmas, uh, but you can still (laughs) have a good time talking about the movie itself (laughs) because, you know, you have an earnest and honest conversation and there's always something to love about movies. Well, sometimes.
0: <laughs> a, my one of my favorite episodes we ever did was on Steel, uh, the Shaquille O'Neal movie,
2: and up. I would I awful
0: would... <laughs> dog shit movie, <laughs> really dog shit. But but the conversation was so much fun, though.
2: And I will. I would. I could. You and I could have a whole other conversation, Perry, that I will save for <laughs> another time. I could give things about that movie that I love, while I will agree that it wow. overall does not get the highest rating in terms of a <laughs> objective quality of an overall film. But there's always something to love in movies, and that's what we love here on In Love With Movies is love and movies.
1: Great so, turnaround. Yeah, let me ask. All right. Uh, aside from your podcast, which Nick really has talked like very highly of, really likes it, really has a good time. Every time he's recording with you, he's like, nice and jolly coming on down. <laughs> but other than that, Perry, who the heck are you? Can you um, tell us a little well, bit
2: about I'm yourself? A guy... <laughs> yeah, not a podcaster. Tell us about your life. Tell us about your love.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I'm a guy from Chicago originally, but whoop then whoop. about um, another fellow Chicagoan or Chicago suburban.
2: We tell
0: people we're from Chicago and it pisses off people who are actually from the city. Exactly. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> um, but I've been out and then I moved out to Japan like right before my 25th birthday. And, you know, I've been out here Ever since that's almost 15 years now that I've been out here now. Wow.
1: Um,
0: and I'm a I'm a teacher for the most part is my main source of income. I teach literature, I teach movies, I teach English, and I'm also a writer. I write novels, and I've started doing some uh, some comic book work too. I'm doing some comic book lettering with uh, Rising Sun Comics, a small uh, publisher I started working with, and doing a little bit of writing here and there on comic stuff. Starting to do a little bit of artwork on that and. And yeah, that's about that's what I do. Um, I'm married. I've got my second <laughs> marriage actually, and I've got uh, I've got two kids, both under the age of two, which is very fun. Oh my goodness! Or not really. <laughs> <and
1: I'm laughs> yeah. yeah. I say Fun that. or exhausting? <laughs> 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 wow. So, what originally brought you out to Japan?
0: When I was in university, and I became really interested in Japanese movies because that was the early two thousands. That was when the whole uh, J-Horror craze was hitting the US and, you know, everybody was getting interested in the ring and the grudge and the Japanese originals. And I started getting into some of the weird Japanese movies that were starting to hit the US at that time, like stuff by Takashi Miike, stuff like Battle Royale. And and um, as I started to get more interested, I started to get more interested in Japanese culture. And I was already studying to become a teacher. And one day there's this career fair thing going on. And I see a thing about working in Japan. And it, it's like it's something for as soon as you graduate university, you can go over to Japan, teach English in Japanese public schools for like a year or two. And and it's this big program they've had going on since like the 1980s, I think they started it, 1990, something like that. <clears throat> so when I graduated university, I decided to give it a try. And I at first I was just going to do one or two years um, that quickly ended up doing the full five years on the program. By that point, I had fallen in love, who was the woman who was going to be my first wife and um, decided to stick around. And then I just stuck around for a while. Um, that marriage didn't work out. We got divorced. I got a job offer in the States, came back to the States, only managed to stay for six months, cause I hated it, <laughs> and <laughs> i <in> have <laughs> and, and been back in Japan since 2017. And
1: then you met your second wife?
0: And then I met my second wife about a year after I came back, yeah.
1: Wow, <clears throat> that's, impre- that's a story for sure. That is a story, <laughs> I, wanna,
2: I wanna deal more into it. Cause I, I knew that you were married, Perry. I knew that you had kids. I wasn't sure if you had met your wife and then moved to Japan or if, as you just described, moved to mm-hmm. Japan and then found your wife while you were there. I definitely did not realize that you had a previous uh, love relationship. I'm guessing yeah, from the yeah. age of your kids, you didn't have any kids in that relationship.
0: No, no, no. Although she had a stepdaughter who, um, she was 10 years older than me. So her stepdaughter was actually just like, about like maybe 13 years younger than me. (laughs) And her daughter, my, my former stepdaughter now, and my former stepdaughter is now pregnant with her first child.
2: Oh my goodness. Yeah. You know, timing is, is, is an important thing. Timing is, thing, it's very know? interesting how that timing stuff works out. <laughs> Sometimes we're, you know, not ready for, for the kids or ready for other things. And, and mm-hmm. others are on a different... Uh, different timeline than we are so that that's 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 fine that that perfectly that happens so how is it that you met your now current wife since it seems like uh, that seems to be a more successful example Mm -hmm. of you know your love blossoming and and literally uh generating progeny so where where did you meet your now current wife
0: (laughs) uh we met on um one of the dating apps i'm not sure i can't remember which one it was, it was like tinder or there was some of the J- japan exclusive ones they have here okay. too one of those ones we met on um and i i've been on like tons of dates with these things most like most of them turned out bad uh it's like one of the kind of things where it's like one date it's like oh yeah this is kind of nice it's okay and then i never hear from them again so.
2: yep mm-hmm.
0: um but then uh her and i we started talking about like um for like a straight month we were just messaging back and forth and then one night I just happened to be out in the city and she was out too. And I, we just messed we decided, Hey, let's meet up now. And then, so we did went out to karaoke and then mm-hmm. things just went from there. Um We started, uh she started coming over to watch movies. Um Her father was a huge movie fan. So she really, he really kind of passed that on to her. And then, so, so she, she's she really liked that about me is the fact that I love movies and that I've got a whole bunch of them. And, uh, and she likes horror movies, which is very odd for a Japanese person. Most <laughs> Japanese people are not big horror fans. Interesting. So, so like every time she'd come over, she'd like want to watch a horror movie or something like that. So, uh, and it just kind of went from there. And next thing I know, you know, we're her, um, uh, she's thinking about leaving her apartment, and I, or I think I can't, I think she had to leave her apartment or some sort of situation. I said, well, why don't you move in with me then? And then just kept on going from there just like one thing after another just kept and then next thing we know we're pregnant so just kind of things just keep happening
1: wow do you speak Japanese
0: Uh, a little bit not as well as I should after almost 15 years but... (laughs) but I speak enough to get around
1: and so was everyone that you were going on dates with did they speak
0: English no, for the most part, I'd say about like ninety-eight percent of them spoke only Japanese. Like a few of them oh, spoke English. Okay, yeah.
1: And so, how is dating with that kind of language barrier? It's
0: it's interesting. It's um, it, it you know it. I don't know. It it's in some ways it's easier. In some ways, it, it's a little bit harder because you can. Um, it takes you longer to finish the conversation, so you don't run out of stuff to say really quickly. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah, I can see that. <laughs> so that's one of the nice things. Um, it can also be kind of interesting because when you make language mistakes, then it, that that also gives you something to talk about as well. Um, so you know, you say something and they start laughing, and you're like, "What was that?" They they explain what the what the, what the mistake you made was. Like, oh, okay. Also, there's a lot of looking up of stuff on <laughs> on dictionaries on our phones.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I was going to ask, are you like using Google translate to have conversations or are you just kind of like it, letting it happen? Yeah,
0: we're, we're using, I've got a, I've got a Japanese English dictionary app on my phone. I use I use that a lot like daily. And even now with my wife, I still use it sometimes. She speaks like, she understands most English. Um, she's not as good at speaking it. So mostly she'll just speak to me in Japanese. So every now and then she'll say something I don't understand. I have to go and look it up. <laughs> but, um, for the most part, she understands my English. I understand her Japanese.
2: Right. So that's kind of how we communicate mostly. Cool. That is really fascinating. And it's it's funny because I've just, I mean, I've, I've had only a couple of conversations like that. Danielle mentioned Peru. We went to Peru at one point and I ended up in a side conversation with one of her friends. And, and that friend spoke like a little bit of English, probably about as much English as I spoke Spanish. And it just mm-hmm. like... Everything you were just describing in terms of, like, having to look things up occasionally or taking longer to get through it or, like, having to reaffirm or correcting each other. Like, and then I'm now imagining having an entire romantic relationship, let alone multiple dates, function that way. And I'm just like, wow, that's a whole other layer I never would have thought of. So that, that's that's really cool. Um, I
1: have another question.
2: Oh, oh, by <laughs> yeah. all means.
1: So both of your children are under two. They're just learning to speak, right? Mm-hmm. What mm. language are you going to teach them? Or
0: we're, Well, um, we're each speaking them in our own language. So um, my daughter, Helena, she's the oldest one. She's going to be turning two next month. And um, my son, Philip, he's only like six months old right now. So he's not speaking anything yet. <laughs> <laughs> um, Helena understands both English and Japanese. Uh, she doesn't speak a whole lot yet. She just says like one or two words here and there, um, which apparently is common for kids from... Dual language households. What I've read, uh, but she'll uh, like she'll say bye, and then uh, but she'll also say words in Japanese, and so she'll like kind of mix and match them. And from what I've known from some friends of mine, that's apparently common, where like they kind of speak both Englishes languages at the same time. Right. And-
1: That's so cool.
2: Because for them,
0: it's just one language because they're just learning them all at the same time.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah, exactly.
1: Wow. That is very, very cool.
2: That's amazing. I'm like jealous of that.
1: Your children are going to be so smart.
2: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Well, I mean, there's a lot to this. I I don't know if, and this is going to totally side tangent, but if you, have you seen uh, Arrival, Perry? I assume you as a cinephile might have. Okay still on my list to get her to watch it anyway, but like that whole, that movie makes you really think about the effects of understanding multiple languages and being able to speak both. And Danielle's not wrong. Like, I mean, there's some research that shows, you know, knowing multiple languages also, Mm. it makes it easier for you to just like understand other concepts in life. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? And so that's, that's just so cool. Imagining what it must be like inside your children's heads going forward in the future. That's well, just fascinating one of the, to me.
0: One of the big things is that English is a very direct language. Japanese mm-hmm. is a very indirect language. So there's a huge, like most Japanese sentences, you don't need a subject, which is like, you think about that in English. You're like, how do you do that? Yeah. It's not, it's, <laughs> right. But in, in Japanese, it's so common. Like you can say stuff without pronouns, without, in fact, using pronouns is just very uncommon in Japanese at all. Like you don't address people like, he or she or anything like that. If anything, you just, you would use their name. You don't, you you bar- never almost never say you. Um, but, and you almost never, you're always speaking to them directly or when you have something where you need to reference them, you use their name actually. So it's like, you're always speaking to them in the third person. Huh. Uh, so it's really kind of, it's really kind of weird that Weird in the fact compared to English, I mean. Yeah. Yeah, um, just, it's
2: offsetting because it's not what you knew. Yeah, 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 yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. Um, but like once I was dating this one girl several years ago and i was saying and i was saying and she was kind of upset about something i'd said i'm like what's wrong what did i say and she's like it's not what you said it's the way you said it and she's like you said it in a very direct way and mm. i'm like H-? and i said it in japanese but i said it in very direct japanese apparently mm. and that's like apparently off-putting i'm like how did i say it she's like and she she couldn't really she couldn't really explain it but she was trying to and eventually i got that it was the fact i was being too direct and Okay. In Japanese, you don't do that. So it's a it's a completely different way of thinking. Even when you're speaking in Japanese, the way you're speaking it is a big deal.
2: Wow. It's funny to me because that makes me think of, like, how it can be more offensive even with, like, the kind of language you use. So we're big fans of couples therapy, and we have lots of couples books that we listen to, and we think about, like, the best ways to communicate ones uh, with one's loved ones. Mm-hmm. And, like, one of the things that that is often talked about kind of is, like, if your language is in a way that you're kind of like pointing at your spouse, you know what I mean? You did mm. this kind of thing. It's like this accusatory. And so I wonder if it's kind of the same type of trigger because you're saying it was so direct. And if you don't even use, you know, the word use or other pronouns sometimes that if it, I wonder if it's like kind of how it would come across like that, like you weren't meaning to be all, you did this thing, but that's right. like how it ends up coming across.
0: Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. I can't even remember what it was about, but I just remember that
2: conversation about it. <laughs> Sure.
1: Wow. That's so interesting.
2: That's really fascinating. So in addition to the language barrier, uh, what other aspects of finding love, developing love, maintaining love do you feel are maybe unique to being with a partner whose first language is not your own and or being in a different culture?
0: Um, uh, it's, it's there are a lot of like small little things like for one thing is, um, and I found this out a lot when I first started, um, going out with meeting different people and stuff like that is there's the the concept of the group date is very big here oh so it's like <clears throat> so it's like you know <clears throat> you like someone they may be interested in you but you know you you can't just you, there's the whole idea it, and this comes from the whole it's called ai in japan um but it's this whole it, it basically comes from the whole arranged marriage convention that they used to have here up until basically the the post-war era okay um and the whole idea is that, you know, you have to have some, some way to be introduced to mm. the person. Mm. Like, it's not, it's very uncommon to just go and pick people up like, or like, you know, or chat someone up at a bar or something like that. Like it happens, but that's, it's almost looked down upon. Like that's something you do for like one night stands and type of thing. It's not the kind sure. of thing you do for like developing relationships. So okay. it's like there has to be some sort of like social introduction huh. to the person. So, um, and one of the ways they do that is through the, through like these group dates they're called gokon. it's like you know each you know each person you know, like you know you get like four guys and she gets like four girls and you all go and like have dinner together and go out drinking and all that and and that's and then maybe they exchange numbers after that and then they start going out on on dates individually so that's kind of like the way it, it kind of works for the most part um that whole social aspect or like being introduced to people through school or through work or through a dating agency all of that stuff is uh very big here so it's uh <clears throat> it was when i first started meeting people like in bars and stuff like that and like hey can i get your number and like you know messaging after them and just like neck and and trying to make dates and stuff like that and be like oh i don't know i'm not and you know they were just being polite when they gave me their number sure. they didn't know it was this so it was an awkward thing to try and work because no
2: one stopped and told you hey barry this right. is yeah, you yeah, know yeah, the yeah. convention here interesting <clears throat> so then i guess that makes sense in terms of like dating agencies i presume that a dating app is not considered a dating agency are there no, it, apps that kind it, of do get that go ahead
0: no they kind of is like and some of them are um uh the, the dating apps are weird here like some of them are um you know you'll meet you'll meet regular. some of them are just for like you know people um you know looking for one night stands Some some of them are just are for people who are actually looking for real relationships. Some of them are weirdly enough, just like people looking for friends. Like I actually had that happen one time where I met this girl on a dating app and she said in messages, she's like, I'm just looking for friends. I'm like, Oh, okay. So then we went out to dinner as friends one time, just like had a chat and stuff like that. Um, Some of them are for prostitution too. (laughs) Like I Mm. was, I met this one girl. I was messaging on an app, and and um, and saying like, "Oh yeah, let's yeah, let's go out, let's get together." And she's like, "Okay." It's um, uh, and she used some kind of code language. She like, and I'm like, "What's that mean?" And she's and she explained that means money. And I'm like,
2: "Oh, oh, oh, okay, no, that's you. <laughs> like, uh, we don't need to meet after all. That's going to be a yeah, waste yeah, of both yeah. of our times because I'm not doing that. <laughs> That's fascinating to yeah. me. I like that's not something I would ever have thought of, um, and that's what I think is most interesting when we have these conversations with people.
1: Do you think that, like, culturally, when you have found a person, do you think like your relationship is harder because you're from different cultures or different, or um,
0: it it, de- it really just depends on the person. Like, um, sure, my wife Coach no she's really understanding about a lot of stuff. She's really laid back and she's got a pretty good sense of Western culture because of all the movies she's watched. So (laughs) she's a little bit more understanding about stuff. Um, But I have dated other people where uh, you know, the expectations were completely different. Like I dated this one girl uh, several years back and you know, in, in America for the most part, it's very common to go Dutch on dates, right? Each person pays their own. And when uh, we went on our first date and, you know, I we hadn't talked about it and I just kind of assumed
2: <laughs> and,
0: cause I had been out on other dates in Japan before then. And that's how it had worked with some other girls I had dated too. She was so surprised that <laughs> she had to pay for herself. And I'm right. like, and uh, I, afterwards she told me that I'm like, I, I'm so sorry. I didn't realize.
1: Interesting. Okay. I have another question and mm-hmm. maybe more personal. Love it. Uh, your first marriage, why, like, do you have advice of, like, maybe why that didn't work out or what happened with that and, like, how,
0: how uh, our that listeners was a, can
2: avoid it, maybe?
1: Yeah.
0: I mean, that was a really specific situation. She had some issues with depression that mm. were – and um, she had been struggling on and off with it for pretty much the entire time we were together. After we moved in, like, um, she had progressively gotten downgraded worse and worse. And, like, she, there were times, there were like months at a stretch where she didn't even get out of bed. Oh. Um, and she, one of the big problems is that Japan is very behind the times on mental health care. Mm. So, like, when you, if you go to see a psychiatrist, basically the psychiatrist just throws pills at you, and that's about oh. it. Like, there's like, and, um, there's like almost no counseling or anything like that. And she didn't want to do counseling. She right. had done it once before and she didn't like it. So she didn't want to do it again. And so she was very resistant to the idea of counseling. She just kept going in and just getting like all these different pills. She was like in a whole cocktail of pills at one mm. time, which, yeah. and yeah, but she went through manic phases that would sometimes last months at a time followed by depressive phase that would also last months at a time. Um, and then, uh, we were in a good place for a while and that's when I got a, a job offer to, to go back to the States. Mm-hmm. And so she just, she was going to come and I, and we talked about it and we were kind of talking about going back to the States. Cause I was thinking about doing gra- uh, my, uh, my doctorate. Okay. Um, But fortunately, the doctorate, I didn't get accepted in the university I wanted to go to. So that fell through. But then at the same time I got this job offer. And so she was already thinking about the idea of coming with me to the States. And then, um, when this job offer came through, um, I told her I was thinking of taking it. She's like, okay, yeah, let's do it. And so we started gathering together the paperwork we need for immigration and all that. Yeah. And then like a few months before, and so like the U.S. immigration system is such a mess. It would have <laughs> taken like I would have had to go over to America first. And like it would have taken like a year for her mm-hmm. stuff to get processed Jeez. and then for her to come over. So that's what we were planning to do. And like a few months before I was supposed to leave she was getting like real she was gotten into a really depressive phase and i told her one time i said to her i'm like you know even like simple tasks of going out she didn't want to do or mm-hmm. she's like i don't know if i can do. and i'm like what are you gonna do when um when i'm in america and you have to go to tokyo because we live in southern japan and like you have to go to tokyo for a consulate interview to come over to america and i'm not here to get you to that interview what are you gonna do and she's like and that was kind of a moment of real it, she's like i don't think i can do this yeah and so that was just kind of so it was just kind of like we realized that, you know, it's not going to work out. We can't really keep this going. So it was it was just kind of like a very amicable split. And um, when I decided to come back to Japan, like we were talking again, we were thinking about getting back together. But shortly before, I had to go to another part of Japan first for about six months before I could come back to this area. <clears throat> and about three months before I was supposed to come back to this area, uh, Kagoshima, she had told me that she had started seeing someone else. Mm. And so that closed the door on that. And then I was already set to come back here. Since then we've, we've talked a few times, like I said, you know,
2: amicable, yeah,
0: yeah, amicable. Um, She congratulated me when my kids were born and all that kind of stuff. Um, I sent her daughter some money when her daughter got pregnant for for her baby and all that kind of stuff. So very amicable still. Like we saw each other wouldn't be any problems or anything like that. Right. Um, But yeah, it's just, I guess just, well, that's, make that's... sure you guys are on the same life path is probably the, the best piece of advice. Yeah. Cause sometimes as much as you care about each other, it's just very different paths and sometimes nothing can be done about that.
2: Yeah. We've had that conversation before with ourselves and with others, I think on this podcast about life paths and we've definitely, I mean, depression is a hard thing to deal with. I'm the one who has it in our relationship and it's, it's definitely put some strains there and it's <laughs> been a long time. I'm I think the last time that I could describe what you just had where it's you know, you'd have a long period of, of, Good, But then also a a long period where you basically don't get off the couch. Like there was a whole semester that I did very, very poorly in college. And it was because I effectively just did not get off the bed like you just described. Um, So I can only imagine how difficult that would be. And then you add that layer of... The back and the forth. I just, can't, I can't imagine mm-hmm. uh, being able to even keep that going forward. So I'm sorry that that happened, but I'm glad it also glad it happened to you because we're also big here on like, you know, timing and things happen for a reason. And clearly yeah. you're much better off with uh, your, your current wife. So.
0: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh,
2: I'm, I am curious. Just one more thing on this point though. It, what was the divorce system like trying to separate from that previous marriage? I mean, like, were you in the States and then she was still in Japan? How, how did that work?
0: No, we got it done um before I left Japan. And divorce is very um there there basically two types of divorce in Japan. There's the um there's basically what the no fault divorce, and mm-hmm. then there's a contested divorce. No fault divorce is you just go down to city hall, you both say, you know, we want to we want to end the marriage, you sign some paperwork, and you're done, and that's it. Um there's no dividing of assets or anything like that. No alimony, nothing like that. Um if there are children involved, then there's um custody there's no there's no joint custody in japan so oh, if there are so. children involved then um only one parent will take custody of the kids typically the mother sure although the father can contest that and there have been cases like if there's like an abuse situation or the mother can't care for them but um and there's some child support but after that like um there are some case there are cases where you know the father will still have contact my wife's parents they got divorced when she was young she still had contact with her father up until he died um but other families i know of like or and not just not even know personally but just read about um it's just like the father just it's like he never existed just completely disappears from the kid's life and wow. sometimes that's like wow you know the mother takes the kid and takes him away and just like you know they don't want to have any contact with the father then after that and that happens a lot that happens a lot actually
1: wow so interesting.
2: Yeah, this is why I like having conversations with people who have experiences in different cultures. Because I feel like we just take so much for granted in terms of, I mean, no matter where you are, no matter what culture you're in, you just presume that that's movies. the way that everyone is. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? On this blue spinning marble. So
1: Yeah, I have one more question.
2: Oh, go for it. I got others, <laughs> and, but continue.
1: Uh, So you said you went back for like six months to America, and you're like, I hate this. And then you came back <laughs> to Japan. So what is it that you love about living in Japan so much Great question. compared to you know, being a Chicagoan?
0: i had lived in japan for so long that i got to. i just got it's not so much that i hate living in america or that i like it's just there's it was just like all the little things that i gotten used to and spent like years getting acclimated to in japan to suddenly be be on the opposite side of that was really hard um it was also just like a really weird time in my life right just got divorced yeah, um, sure i didn't want to stay in chicago because um i didn't want to have to deal with family questions and all that kind of stuff. So Uh I was just like, and the job I got was a remote job. So I could work anywhere in the continental U S so first chance I got, I moved out to California. I (laughs) tried moving out to, so I moved out. I lived in San Diego for three months, um, doing this work remote job. Um, but one of the things too, you don't realize at the time is that having a remote job makes it really hard to meet people. So like I knew nobody out there. Um, and so it was really difficult to meet people. It was really diff. You know, it's, you don't realize this, um, when you're younger but when you're in your 30s it's really hard to make friends Mm
2: yeah i mean i've had that literal conversation with people like how do you make friends as an adult like there's no such thing as just sort of like a a play date or you know a school to go to and then you're just forced to interact with human beings and then the closest thing we have to that is work yeah where most teams, even if you are in person, there's maybe a, a smaller group of people that you interact with, and half of them are already paired off somehow. Mm-hmm. And if you work remotely, then it's an even smaller interaction. So yeah, I can totally understand that. You yeah. look like you. That was one of the nice say.
0: things about Japan is there's this expat community. So it's very, it's like, oh my god, you're not from Japan. Let's be friends. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I feel like that's the same thing that our friend, uh, that your cousins experienced in in Costa Rica. Like mm-hmm. they ended up just kind of getting connected with a group of expats, and it's not even all Americans, but it's like all English speaking no, yeah, yeah. expats, you know what I mean? That are not Costa Rican natives and then end up, yeah, connecting with each other.
0: I It, it was so weird because even though I went to the most international, one of the most international universities in America, it's like third most most diverse school in America, Northeastern Illinois.
1: I don't think and, I knew that. I didn't know that either. <laughs>
0: I've, I've yes, gone and,
2: and recruited there and didn't realize, okay, <laughs> anyway. yeah, It's like the third most diverse school
0: in, in America and or at least it was when I went there, I'm not sure about now. But the weird thing is, In Japan, I had a more diverse group of friends than I did at the third most diverse school in the country because it, even in those, that school, it's very diverse. Yeah, you may have some friends from different cultures, but for the most part, you know, people just kind of like share off with like their, their tribe. But in Japan, it's like your tribe is people who speak English. So it's like everybody, like I had friends (laughs) who were from, I had friends who were from Scotland. I had friends who were from Canada, South Africa, Colombia, just like all over the place.
2: That's hilarious and, and funny to me, yeah. That that's how that ends up playing out, but... um, So, one more question about <laughs> love in general, and it might lead to a much longer conversation anyhow. I am curious, in a more broad uh, space of things, what do you... Th- can you describe for us the worst fight that you and your wife have ever had, what it was like, and how you all got through it together?
1: That's an interesting question.
2: <laughs> um getting deep
0: I'm not gonna go into details about it fair <laughs> but I will say that we we don't fight that often like we're both very um we're both very level-headed so like there um I will give you one specific example but uh that was a was a few weeks ago like or maybe like two weeks ago um our daughter was just being kind of difficult and I was trying to finish some stuff on the computer and I was trying, I'm like, I'm like, I'll I'll be done soon. I'll be done soon. And it took a lot longer than I expected. So it took what I said, like, I'll be done in an hour. It ended up taking like three hours. And then when I finished, um, she was in, she was in bed with my daughter and she was, um, and they were like watching, uh, we got a projector in my daughter's room so they can project like Netflix on the, on the wall. Dude. So, um, so she's, uh, she's laying in bed with my daughter and I'm like, Oh, I'm finally finished. And she like, wouldn't say anything to me. And I'm like, I'm like, are you mad at me? And she's like, Yeah. And I'm like, I'm sorry. And she's like, it's okay. And then that was that was the only thing she said to me. And then um then in the morning she she apologized to me. And she's like, I'm sorry. It was very, you know, we're over over stressed and everything. Um but that that's kind of more how it's how it goes with us. Like, you know, most of the time we're able to realize that, you know, we're not in a good mood right now. Let's just take a break and just try and deal with it ourselves and then we'll We'll, we'll try not to make a big deal out of it. So we're both pretty, we're, we both kind of understand where the others buttons are and try to avoid right. those. And, and if they do get pushed, then we kind of know like, all right, well, wasn't intentional. We'll just try and, you know, take it easy and try and see how
1: things work out. Sounds like you have a very chill marriage. Yeah, no kidding.
0: <laughs> very, very chill. Yeah, very chill.
2: <laughs> I wish either one of us responded that patiently and positively to the other person upsetting them.
1: I don't know what you're talking about. I, I'm
2: I'm, I'm t- throwing myself under the bus too. It reminds me actually two of our last guest was talking about a similar ish conversation or question I asked. And they basically said, you know, most fights end up with both of us apologizing. And I feel like mm. that's exactly what you just described. Yeah. It's very, like, that happens a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And, and whether it's something big, small, like I can understand how all of the, without needing any more details, how that would be an emotionally mm. charged situation um, with the length of time. Also reminds me of some recent fights that Danielle and I had regarding un- un- misunderstood timelines for things to finish. She knows what I'm <laughs> talking about um but yeah i love that that like you know you sort of like immediately recognized sort of your fault and then the Mm -hmm. next morning your wife was able to be like hey even though yes you did like you know the (laughs) the shitty thing i'm also was not really being very good about responding to that so i'm really
0: sorry like i should not have i should have paid more closer attention to time and all that and i could hear in the background like helena causing trouble and i'm like "I, like, (laughs) i gotta finish gotta finish this but i should have just stopped then and just been like okay
2: Awesome. Thank you. Yeah, that's I, I love that. That's a great example. And, and and it is exactly why I ask those types of questions, because it articulates ways that people can uh, navigate them for themselves. Do you have anything else, Danielle, before we move on to our next segments?
1: No, thank you for letting us ask so many questions in prior into your relationship. We haven't had no someone problem. in international. Mm.
2: We've had people in international. I don't relationships, know a lot of people but- in Japan. Yeah,
1: <laughs> honestly. <laughs> I, yeah. So thank you for letting us ask all those questions you're welcome
2: yeah the one that comes to mind i know we've had somebody who had uh like italian and then american and and they talked a little bit about that but i, I don't i don't think that that difference between two western and european country you know was as great as what you just i will
0: tonight, say so. there is one other big difference that's really kind of popped up uh lately um my wife had gone to stay with her sister um she took my daughter to stay with her sister uh l- two nights ago just so like my sister could pl- my, my daughter could play with her cousins and all sure. that and okay. so And my wife and her sister could then just, you know, spend time together and everything. And, you know, I picked her up yesterday and she was telling me about how like her brother-in-law does nothing, literally nothing. (laughs) It's just like, he was just like, when um, her her sister made dinner, brought it out for everybody. She brought him a bowl. Like when they were sitting out in the, I think they're sitting in the living room or something. She brought him out a bowl and then we want to refill. She took the bowl brought it back when he wanted a drink she went and she got him a drink like and when mm. when he finished she came and she took the dishes to the sink and it's like and eh, like that's kind of a lot of her friends have the, those kinds of relationships where the guy doesn't do anything like not even the bare minimum
2: But yeah i that's neither here nor there well that that's cool awesome thank you well the next thing before we get to our movie is we we typically do a segment uh in the past we have done a Closer Through Science segment, but we've run out of those questions, so movie lovers, we've been trying to explore different ideas, uh, some of you have been listening, you, you know we've been doing some, some movie trivia and things of that nature, we want to open up the call to see if any of you have ideas, please, by all means, suggest them to us to fill in this slot.
1: In love with movies, da-da-da, and, and we're, we're back,
2: back. <laughs> welcome back movie lovers to In Love With Movies, where we are now going to get to actually get to the movie section of the podcast, and Danielle provides you all with some ASMR. <laughs> Clearly, she went and got some snacks over the break. All right. So today, uh, today this week, this month, we are discussing...
1: <laughs> what is time? What
2: is time? We've recorded a lot. We've batched a lot this past couple of uh, weeks, which is good. I, I know like what that's that. like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sometimes <laughs> it's like you're recording six in a week, and then other times it's like, you know, you go months without uh, a single mm-hmm. one. Um, anyway, so we are discussing the movie High Fidelity from, as Perry already mentioned before the break, uh, 2000, it stars mostly John Cusack, but as well as Jack Black and, uh, Todd Luizzo, I think is how you pronounce his name is, is the other, uh, Dick, I think is his name in the, uh, the character. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then the other main sort of lead is, I believe I'm going to get the first name correct, Ibn, uh, Hijaz.
1: Oh, wait, let me see it.
2: It is uh, a Northern European name, so apologies sincerely. Uh, I did not do Even, enough Even,
1: my- I don't think you say the H. I think it's just J-Lay. j, oh. j. Okay.
2: okay. J.
1: I don't know if that's right.
2: Movie <laughs> lovers, I sincerely hope I w- someone, you know, if you, if you know better, if you know this individual, please, by all means, uh, help correct me. We open to that. But in addition to sort of the main love interest being played by- even uh, we've got Joan Cusack, John's brother is in here, which is always we love to see White, that uh,
1: sister. John's sister.
2: Did I say brother?
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah.
2: <laughs> Thank you both for the correction. Uh, yeah. Then Tim Robbins. I think it was because I was already moving on to the next uh, male gendered <laughs> name in my head. Tim Robbins, who like plays a part where he only has like two, three scenes, maybe where he uh, he speaks, but I personally think he crushes them. We'll get to that. Catherine, J- Catherine Zeta-Jones and Lisa Bonet, who, for those of you who don't know, is uh,
1: Zoe Kravitz. mom. Thank you. For
2: some reason, Zoe mm-hmm. was going out of my head.
1: She looks exactly they like are, Zoe Kravitz.
2: And Zoe
0: Kravitz played the John Cusack role in the Hulu re- remake of *The High Fidelity
2: as a TV show.
1: What? Series. I didn't yes. know there was a remake.
0: Oh, it's so good. It's it's a, it's a TV show. It's really fun. Wow.
1: I
2: actually think after having revisited this movie, I may decide to go. It's been something that was like, eh, I'm not sure if it's my scene or not. Uh, I hadn't heard anybody talking as much about the, the TV show, but I knew it existed.
0: And it flew completely under the radar. It seems yeah. like. Dead. Yeah. But you're saying it's good. I loved it. Yeah, I thought it was great.
2: Okay, well, we'll, we'll, we'll be making sure to talk about that too. Um, I also, I noted the director is Stephen Fears. Uh, I, if you, I didn't know most of his IMDB, but listeners, maybe if you've seen the queen, uh, that was, you know, something that had a lot of good buzz back a couple of years ago. And then and I'm also familiar with dangerous liaisons, which was a movie starring, uh, John Malkovich and Glenn Close. And it's, if you've ever watched, if you grew up in my era, you probably saw the movie cruel intentions, dangerous liaisons is the movie that cruel intentions is based on. So it's the same story. Oh, okay. Uh, but like actually you know back in new england times or whatever it is based uh this movie high fidelity is based on a book by nick hornby other than that there are four writers and john cusack himself is actually credited as uh helping write the screenplay for this movie
0: i think he also produced it and he's because cusack is from chicago he's one of the main reasons that the movie is set in chicago because the book is actually set in london
2: oh interesting
1: that is interesting
2: Yeah, I did not know that, but that's, that's fascinating. Uh, I can't wait to continue to hear more
1: tidbits.
2: (laughs) This podcast is where my wife makes the most fun of me and that's saying something Uh, anyway. So for those of you who have not seen high fidelity and maybe have not even heard of the TV show since it did fly, unfortunately under the radar, uh, before we get to our larger discussion of the film, we have to get our brief uh, rundown of what this movie is about with uh, I know it's my favorite segment. It's maybe not her favorite segment, but there are, I know, people on the internet who enjoy it, so it is...
0: <laughs> Time for
1: Danny's Dingle. Alright. I was just so hungry. Alright. <clears throat> High Fidelity. Did I listen to pop music because I'm miserable? Or am I miserable because I listen to pop music? Bangs. Yikes. This guy's an asshole. Wicker Park, we lived right there. Uh, <laughs> mania, uh, five breakups, but they're all his fault. Joan Cusack, <laughs> bangs again. Uh, uh, uh. Um, <clears throat> marriage question mark? Thanks for asking. <laughs> the end.
2: Very good. Excellent. <laughs> so good. No notes. <laughs> no notes. No notes.
1: I, I did have to look at my notes for this one because, you know, this movie, I know we'll get into this, but I was paying attention, but there was a lot going on. It goes, okay, anyways. It is pretty what?
2: fast-paced. It's, yeah. it's one of those that's, mm-hmm. that's pretty fast-moving, especially with uh, some of those dialogue scenes and the stuff that's being thrown out, and it kind of jump cuts a lot. Um, but yeah, we'll get into it. So real quickly, then we're going to give our love stories. Danny, I'm going to let you go first because Great. I know this is going to be quick.
1: I just saw this movie for the first time.
2: All right. Very good. <laughs> I had seen this movie before. I did not see it in theaters or anything like that. Um, it probably would have been like a, cu- just a couple of years too early for me in terms of sort of it hitting my stride, I think for, uh, where I was at with movies at the time that it came out in 2000. Uh, but later on, I saw it years later. I remember very much enjoying it. The scenes I remember standing out, we'll talk about, are, are like the confrontation scene where Tim Robbins comes into the, the uh, record store. And then there's multiple imaginary versions of how that plays out. That I remember. Uh, but the thing that I feel is most interesting for my love story is we actually, Danielle and I, when we first lived together, we were living with a friend of mine. Uh, who at the time was dating a young woman who actually appears in the movie as a background extra. So oh, wow. I'm 90% certain as we were watching it, it is this one of the scenes where he's like walking in the park and there's just people like fishing in the background because he's delivering some kind of exposition. Uh, and this young woman, it was, you know, a young person, even younger than like a teenager in the background of this movie and just, like, exists there. Um, and, yeah, other than we that... We go
1: back and pause on that scene and see if we can see her.
2: It, it's like he's... They're so far in the back, I noticed this time. They're so far in the back that... Um, And he's in the focus that, like, you can't even make out features like it is just use. You can barely tell that the people behind him are fishing uh, just from the sort of gestures of the the sort of silhouettes of who those people are. But, yeah, other than that, uh, it is it is very Chicago movie. I have actually not seen it until I've not I had not seen it since I moved to Chicago over a decade ago. And we
1: did used to live.
2: Right three there, three blocks from that right record there.
1: store.
2: Yeah, uh, where the record store is at on Enroy and uh, Milwaukee. There's like now there's a really popular brunch place right across the street. There was um there was an ice cream joint that we used to love going to. There was a Jenny's. Anyway, so we we went. You know there the name of that frequently.
0: that uh, brunch place? Just out of curiosity.
2: Boiler room. No, right? Uh, no. no. Bang- Bongo room. Bongo room. That's what I'm thinking of. That's not okay.
1: right there, is it?
2: Yeah, it's it's right there. So Enroy kind of like separates. Uh, there's like one corner of it that's three-way on Milwaukee, and then there's another corner on it, oh, yeah. of it going the other direction. There was also
1: a Rick Bayless restaurant.
2: Correct. Yep, there was that Rick Bayless restaurant. I thought the Rick Bayless restaurant was where the record store was located until I realized that there's the scene where he comes out and chases the punks and they go underneath the L. And that was when I realized that it's actually the other section other of, the screen, of yeah. Enroy, because otherwise the, the L wouldn't have been there. But Perry, that's enough about our uh, background and, and love story with this movie. You are the one who picked this movie for us because it, you have uh, some connection to it. So why don't you tell us what is your love story and your history with this movie, Perry?
0: So I think I first saw this movie, um, it was a few years after it came out. It was when I was in university um and in my circle of friends i was um i was like the perpetually single guy i was the guy who was like um and i was like the guy who was like the 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 big romantic too okay Okay. so um and so the joke among my friends was that i was like the john cusack of the group because i was this <laughs> nice guy who was like always perpetually like had bad luck in, in romance <laughs> and all that kind of stuff um and you know one of my friends, she had said that, uh, and this is the first movie I suggested to you guys. She said that like, you know, you're John Cusack in every movie he's ever been in, but most especially, uh, oh crap. Now I'm blanking on the title of the movie.
2: Um, it wasn't say anything. It was not say anything. No. Cause that's it what was, I thought uh, it was, was, but it was um, better off dead. Better off dead. Yes. Better off dead. I it yeah.
0: yeah. It's the one where he, he's constantly <laughs> fantasizing about killing himself because his girlfriend dumped him. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh it's like not me i wasn't suicidal or like that but just like that whole the whole idea of like responding so over the top to to relationships and that kind of thing that was me in in like in like university was that sure. that kind of attitude and so it was very much so john cusack in this movie spoke a lot to me um when i watch it now though i'm kind of like uh and we'll talk about it more but he i think danny hit it right on the head he's an asshole <laughs> 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 um uh, i realize that much more now but so i don't relate to him as much now as i did when i was in university but uh but yeah and like just it the fact that it's in it's set in chicago and i was in chicago at the time going to university um uh my best friend her and her boyfriend at the time they had an apartment in um i think it was in wicker park actually sure uh so we were all, I was always in that area at the same time too. So yeah, this movie spoke to me a lot back then because of those kinds of things. And, and yeah, it does move. It does move fast. Every time I think about this movie and I think about the the plot outline of it, there's a lot of plot that they cram into right. this sh- pretty short runtime.
2: time. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's pretty short. And I'm glad we are both, I think, Danielle and I are breathing a sigh of relief because I knew you had told me you identified with. But I kind of feel the same way about when I was on Jumper. I watched this and I was like, I remembered identifying with the character a great deal more too when I back when especially like his top I totally forgot about the top five thing and the fact that he sort of Organizes his life in terms of the music, and I feel like I organize my life in terms of movies, and so it's kind of the same thing. But while watching, I'm like, everyone in this movie is kind of a terrible person. So yeah, really. I was was a little anxious to have you come to be like, and that is exactly who I still feel that I am. I know, and I (laughs)
1: hadn't met you, and I'm like, who is this guy? (laughs) Who this guy? No, but it was. It was that definite. I had
0: done stuff like that too. Like the the whole autobiographical organizing is- Of his music, like the, yes. That was me with movies back in, in university. Like I had this huge movie collection, these huge DVDs. And one time we were watching this movie, me and a buddy of mine, and I said to him like, I wonder if I should try organizing my DVDs in out, by out, autobiographic. He's like, he just gives me this look. He's like, are you fucking insane? <laughs> and then I was bored and I tried it.
2: That's <laughs> hard. The first first DVD case that I had of 200 DVDs. That is exactly how I organized it.
1: I I don't even want to know what that is.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So, yes, Perry, same wavelength, that is. (laughs) And I think the thing that does still hold true, and it sounds like maybe is true of you, is sort of that hopeless romantic. Like, part of the reason he is an, an endearing character in some positive lights is that he really, he just cares so much. Like, every love feels like the love of his life to him.
1: Yeah, I'll give you that when he's like, I was her first boyfriend, but the mom doesn't even know about him. But
2: Yeah. <laughs> How true is that? How real is that in terms of life? <laughs>
1: back then, I thought, I'm
2: like, okay, you're being an asshole in this scene.
1: I don't think he's endearing. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> hot take. I think he's just a jerk. This whole movie, so
2: self-centered. There can be, a person can have endearing qualities without Tipping the scale to overall being an endearing person. That is all I'm going I will to say. It.
0: One of my friends at the time, she had told me she she hated this movie. I don't like it. Even yet. then, and, I don't like it. And, <laughs> uh, what, and I asked her, I'm like, how can you? How do you hate for high fidelity? And she's like, think about it this way: if that if that character was a woman acting like that, everybody would think this movie is ridiculous. You're, like, yeah, okay, yeah. It's got a I good
1: was gonna point. say, I think this is like early 2000s. It's literally 2000 dude's point of view
0: yeah and
1: so there was a couple lines i wrote down where i was like what the hell like he's like women they're just you know into that schizo stuff or something oh yeah and I was yeah like,
0: that that I, I clocked that line too
1: this oh. last time yikes and
2: i did not clock that but there's that general feel yes and mm-hmm.
1: his first couple girlfriends he breaks up with that one girl who's so sweet and so beautiful mm-hmm. because she wouldn't let him touch her boobs <laughs>
2: Oh my God. Yeah. Truly. And, and that was actually
1: and then, the weirdest thing. The worst part about that scene is he
0: feels absolved after that conversation. Yes. He's like, this is not my fault. Good for me. And I'm like, wait a minute. You're you took completely the wrong message from that interaction. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I probably because I had not been far enough along any of my relationships the last time I watched this movie to really understand what is taking place in that scene. It did not hit me, but this time I'm watching and being like, Dude, you traumatized this woman and her life. Like you have left deep rooted scars and you think you're the one who had <laughs> the, the tough situation from this that you're feeling, like, "Oh my god. Yeah, that was that was next level admittedly."
1: Yeah, and I also think like I said, maybe it's of its time because watching this in 2022 as a woman no me gusta. <laughs> it's just like he's just a total Dickwad, well, I
2: don't know. And also, like, and now, I watch it now, and the funny thing is, is, this is to me also another thing that I feel like Fight Club falls into this sometimes, not for me personally, but for a lot of people who, like, watch it, get get excited about it, identify with it, really love the movie, but love it for all the wrong reasons, and, yeah. and totally miss. I think you and I maybe even talked about this, Perry, because I feel like you and I had this conversation, but watching this this time, I think the filmmakers kind of intend for you to notice when these people are being pretentious assholes and like overthinking themselves. I remember watching this thinking their view of like basically just gatekeeping regarding music was like cool. And, oh man, you thought you were so hip. And it's like, ironically, I was probably, you know, early twenties, maybe late teens when I watched it. And it's like, that's what you think is the thing you're supposed to be doing. But from almost the way that it's filmed and the way that they choose to point these things out this time watching. it, I was like, oh no, 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 the filmmakers know these guys are dicks and this is not who you're supposed to be like embodying, embodying in your life. And it's, it's just absolutely all of the film gatekeeping that takes place. Oh, you know, you haven't seen this. So I don't care about your opinion on that other thing. And and I am now at a place where I very much don't feel like that's how it was, but I, I very much can think of times in my life where that is exactly the human being I was. So.
0: I was, th- I was fortunate enough to get pulled out of that because I had a lot of friends who weren't film snobs. So that helped keep me straight. But also when I was in university and I was taking a film class, there were some massively pretentious film snobs in that class. And I'm just like, holy shit. I do not want to be one of those guys.
2: <laughs> You're like, ah, uh, the way I'm looking at them now, I yeah. would hate for anyone to ever see me that way. <laughs> Basically. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I, I'm in comedy and there's people like that too. It's like, well, in Comedia dell'arte, I'm like, look, um so i do want to talk about the woman real quick i've never she's not in anything huh
0: not Um, really no she's not she hasn't been like any other really not really major things that i can see yeah
2: yeah so some movies i wrote down were the rain which was a, a popular thing a couple of years ago and then defiance which is a movie with oh god uh glass onion james bond his this is, I, it's a good thing I'm not on movie trivia right now.
0: Um, uh, Daniel Craig?
2: Thank you. Yes. Daniel Craig was <laughs> on, it, it was a movie called Defiance. It was a war movie like 10, 12 years ago.
0: Oh, I, I had heard about that just recently. That's apparently pretty good. It's like about, um, uh, uh, a, a Jewish uprising against the Nazis. Yes. Happened.
2: Oh. Yes. And so I, I remember hearing really good things about it then as well. And so that's where it clicked and clocked for me when I was looking at her IMDb. <clears throat> so she's apparently in that. But those are literally when I scrolled through her IMDb, the only two things that kind of re- I recognized as notable.
1: Well, I'll say she is beautiful. In this movie, mm. this, she doesn't really wear a lot of makeup, which I found refreshing. But my God, ladies, if you watch this movie, I was cringing the whole time. Her fucking bangs, man. They were like (laughs) all the way up. She looks so bad. It hurt my soul. (laughs) Um, It was
2: a very early 2000s look. I feel like because she also had almost like a and and also kind of a punk look. I guess. Yeah. You know, it was icky.
1: But anyways, John Cusack. Now, I told Nick this. I've this is very embarrassing, especially being from Chicago. I've never watched a single John Cusack movie ever in my entire life. This was the first ever.
2: Really? Oh, my God. (laughs) uh, Joan
1: Cusack, many, many things. Love her. Love her and all her things. But I've never seen a John Cusack movie. I know he's Boombox Boy and all that. But Mm. So I I don't know. I guess I wasn't uh, accustomed to John Cusack as he is as a person. But this movie starts out hard, and he goes into, like, kissing that one girl. And then that boy took over. I clocked a celebrity that Nick didn't know. The young uh the guy who plays the youngest him is Drake Bell. Do you know who Drake Bell is?
2: That name sounds familiar.
1: He's from Drake and Josh.
2: And He's... Josh is the one who's now in uh the Turner and Hooch remake. Correct? Yes. Okay, so yeah, Drake
1: yeah. is a little ginger boy. But anyways, this was probably one of his first movies. He didn't do anything imagine. he just made out with a <laughs> girl.
2: Well he got to marry her. Yeah. As we discover later on.
1: <laughs> no, it's young John Cusack. He plays young John Cusack.
2: But you said he was a ginger. The ginger's the one who is not Anyways, anyways. Anyway, okay.
1: Um, And then when Jack Black enters, <laughs> Jack Black is literally the same person in every movie.
2: <laughs> but he plays this, that this so role well. Was spe- they specifically
0: wrote this role in the screenplay for Jack Black.
2: That tracks. That tracks.
1: And I will say, speaking of hair and stuff, I think they did a good job of making them like the weird... Music snobs. Jack Black was greasy the whole time. Mm -hmm. Did you guys notice that? Oh, yeah. I clocked it once or twice. Gross.
2: It's funny, if I can stay on the John Cusack thing, because, Perry, I mean, obviously you have watched a lot of those other John Cusack movies. Sounds like you identified, uh, as we said, with, you know, him and other ones. I feel like almost this movie sort of, because it would have been, John Cusack was you know, a leading man, sort of rom-com, stuff like Better Off Dead back in the Mm. 80s, and then he was not in films as much uh, in the 90s, and then I feel like this is almost, to me, sort of a... The character that is in here having a retrospective of his past relationships could almost be seen as John Cusack having a retrospective about, like, the previous versions of himself that he's played in movies, because I feel like this is almost that character grown up uh from those movies because a lot of them were like him in his teens and in early 20s mm-hmm. and so if you then flash forward to him no
0: yeah I think that's a good point I never thought about that about it that way but yeah I think that definitely tracks
2: yeah so that was something that struck me as I was watching and I think that gives additional context so if you're somebody who is thinking about watching movies maybe I would even recommend watching other John Cusack movies before you then get <laughs> to this one because I think it can kind of Add a a whole other layer to things.
1: Can I ask a dumb question?
2: Always love dumb questions.
1: Why is this movie called High Fidelity? I don't understand.
2: Okay, so I do know the answer, but Perry, I'll let you answer it. I assume you do.
0: I mean, it's a music term, right? It has to do with the... Yes. Okay.
2: So, like, part of the reason, even now, because this was, again, 2000s, where record stores like this were far more frequent but Mm -hmm. high fidelity refers to sort of the quality of the sound and specifically the fidelity. So I I know this is an IO psychology concept, how close you are to the real thing. Fidelity is basically how you would look at it. Uh, and so high fidelity, the reason people like records is because supposedly it is higher fidelity than, you know, a a tape, a CD, a digital recording, like it. it is more true to it, which is the reason that, you know, music snobs still today prefer records because it has Mm -hmm. high fidelity.
1: Got it. What does it have to do with the movie?
2: (laughs) Well, he owns a record store and that's how he associates his whole life.
1: But I don't think that has to do with his relationships at all because none, they were low fidelity in my opinion.
0: (laughs) Well, I think that's kind of the point is that it's the, I think that's kind of the point. The fact that he hasn't been, uh it's him trying to find that high
1: fidelity in his life got it i would agree with that
2: okay and 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 trying to find the truth like the reality of it too because as so another thing that occurred to me too is that this movie is actually kind of very similar in its construction to the movie definitely maybe which is a rom-com that i Mm -hmm. personally like a lot more with ryan reynolds but that might be wise because i'm a big ryan reynolds fan um anyway but it's the whole reviewing of his relationships and the thing that i think occurs as he goes back to review these relationships is his recollection of them is very inaccurate (laughs) It is like you just said Perry low fidelity and I think it's finding truth in relationships and finding truth in his even the current relationship that he has and, and realizing uh that to have the high fidelity relationship is to stop romanticizing it stop playing it up as this beautiful perfect thing this love story this Uh, fantasy frankly and instead be like no this is what really happened uh and i don't know that he truly they don't show that with his previous relationships as we've already discussed he kind of just goes like oh that's great that's so fantastic that you know now that i know the real thing uh but he does at least seem to kind of get there by the end with his own relationship Mm -hmm. so that he, he realizes the reality of it the truth of it
1: yeah i will say i got very nervous I was going to be mad if there was a different ending where he cheats on her again with that girl who comes in, who's the, like, uh, interviewer. The
2: reporter. Yeah, yeah, they, like, throw yeah, in this are. reporter as a temptation right there at the end.
1: Yeah, but he, that, I think that is the moment where he realized, no, what I have is the best thing that I can have. And mm. he actually even sets it up at the beginning of the movie because he's like, uh, Laura's not even in my top five. Yeah. Mm. But clearly he's, like, so heartbroken. His mother is Pissed at
0: him. <laughs> in fact, his um, Harold Ramis was supposed to play his father in this, and they had oh. a scene with him, but it got
2: cut. Aww. Oh, I didn't know it's that.
0: Apparently, a deleted scene. You'd probably find it on YouTube. Very interesting. And Beverly D'Angelo De- had a had a scene in this too that was also cut. I don't know who that is.
2: Beveridgeley <coughs> Christmas Vacation. From, uh...
1: Oh, the mom. Yeah, I just didn't know her name.
0: There's that. There's that one scene where he I'm gets sorry, a phone just, call it, it about um about someone selling a record. And he says, "Yeah, I'm interested." That was she was playing the person who was like selling um, her hus- her late husband's record collection, or something like
2: that.
1: Interesting. Huh. That is a fascinating. I wonder why they cut it.
2: Thing that, that, yeah, that they, yeah, I guess
0: probably just for time.
1: Yeah, that's what I imagine. I would imagine, but especially Harold Ramis, like that Chicago guy, you know, that's a, a big film guy. In case you guys didn't know, <laughs> Beverly D'Angelo
2: was also in Violent Night. Everyone, if you haven't seen it, you should go oh, check that. Oh, she was. Out. Yeah.
1: Cool. 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 Um, but also. What else did you have to say? Ian, <laughs> the character of Ian is so weird to me.
2: Uh, it's so funny to me. I <laughs> this is this says a lot, but the way he's trying to resolve the conflict, <laughs> I feel like I am probably more that person now, where I would try to resolve the conflict, but I would I would attack it head on, but then I would try to be all peaceful about it. Um, whereas, I mean, that guy is such a douche. Like. <laughs>
1: Ian. it's like He's even like as
2: hippie, I say yeah. that I identify with that character I'm like oh I don't want to I had that thought when he came into the um into the store so
1: I think the Ian scene not the weird like him imagining Laura having sex with him <laughs>
2: <laughs> that's strange
1: but th- where he goes through all the different scenarios in his head of what he would do to Ian like beat him up scream at him mm-hmm. all that stuff <sighs> that's what I wrote down uh I'm not sure what this movie is trying to be because it was the only time in that movie where he like left reality. Reality.
2: Sure. But maybe
1: not because his flashbacks of his relationships were actually not reality. I was just
2: about to say that. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: Well, mind blowing. One thing about
0: Tim Robbins, um, there's only, do you know why he took this very small part? No. Because they gave him a wig. You're kidding. The wig was awful yeah. too. That wig same, is... thing, same thing with Anchorman. They gave him a wig in Anchorman. He took the he took both those parts just because he could get get to keep the wigs, and he uses them to, in Halloween costumes to this day.
2: Oh my god! When I love that. can't afford a wig? That. I love that so much. <laughs> that is just such a Tim Robbins thing too.
1: That is hilarious.
2: That's hysterical. Um, yeah, and he yeah, but he plays that too so well. Like he knows exactly what the assignment is. Mm-hmm. for this role and does it perfectly but i do think they hold off on that obviously fantasy scene until we get towards the end where he's starting to have this realization and this is where like there's deeper levels to this movie he's starting to have this realization that his versions of his past relationships are not accurate they're fantasies um and that you know he's still kind of doing that today and at some point i think you kind of just have to grow out of that in order to have Mm. an actual functioning adult relationship and watching this now where I'm in one. And again, it's the first time I've seen it since I've been, I was having, as you were like talking about how much you hated it, I was having these (laughs) like deeper existential (laughs) moments where I'm like, oh my God, like this has totally been me in the past where I I have Mm. these versions of past relationships that have become something else entirely in my head.
1: I, I don't hate it. (laughs) <laughs> the more that we're talking about it, the more I'm realizing there are layers to it. Every time, but guys, I will every just say, Listeners know my that's my how this happens. <laughs> happens. I will say, as a woman, this movie's a lot harder to watch. That's but, fair. Uh, it's he, fair.
0: It's definitely fair.
1: He literally said, I am tired of the fantasy. And he kept saying, I want something that's good, not great. Or some line like that. Mm-hmm. Oh,
0: that that line. Yeah, that was a great part when he, he's, he's talking about his relationship with with Laura. And he says that it wasn't great. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't
1: bad, or it, but it
0: wasn't bad. It was like, it was just good, mm-hmm. but really good. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's a Cause And I think what he's saying, and you know, first time I saw that, I remember thinking at the time, and this is, you know, me with my, you know, 20 something year old brain thinking like, well, why do you care that if it wasn't spectacular? And, but then now I'm thinking about it and I'm like, well, wait a minute. Cause you're thinking about when you're, when he's saying spectacular, he's saying it wasn't the fantasy.
1: Mm-hmm. Right.
0: And so then, yeah and so he's saying like it was good but it was it was real right yeah and i think like that really good line can be interpreted that way i thought oh so that
2: puts a whole other layer to it i was just as you said it like oh it was real but i think that's like what you mean and almost maybe it would have been better to have delivered it as it's real good do you know what i mean like Yeah, yeah because like you're saying it's not even the really in terms of an emphasis it's really in terms of literally more real <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah yeah
1: yeah i actually turned to you at that point and i was like is that how you think our relationship is and I, if this was earlier on in our relationship i think i would have been upset if you said yes uh-huh. but i was hoping you would say yes actually because there is no fantasy in marriage um mm-hmm. and i think that's what the zeta jones character is supposed to be yes oh yeah just yeah. very much like for two years he was saying he couldn't even he still never thought he was enough and like Whatever, so that yeah, was Yeah, he was with her, her for that stuff.
2: long, and he, cle- yeah, it was all his neuroses and his stuff.
1: Yeah, so I guess it is sweet where at the end he realizes he just wants something that's normal, which, mm-hmm. um, for those of you who are listening who aren't in a marriage or are in a relationship but it hasn't gotten too far, marriage gets normal, and that's good. Like, I like just being chilling with you. But Perry,
2: mm-hmm. and correct us if you're wrong, if it's not your experience, it's also very scary when that first happens, which is, I think, what he's bucking against.
1: Oh yeah. I think so
0: too. Yeah. I think that's, that's definitely it. I think the, I was going to mention Charlie too, the Catherine Zeta Jones character. Uh-huh. And just like you said, she does represent that fantasy, right. That the unattainable girl. And like, you know, everyone's had that, um, that unattainable person in their life, right. Someone that they know and they're like, Oh man, if I could be with this person. Right. And it's like, and that scene when he, he goes and he finally gets to be with her, you know, in a sense, like, you know,
1: mm-hmm.
0: being her, and he's, and he sees her for the first time, what he really is. And he's yes. like, wow, she's just really kind of shallow. Uh-huh. Right. It's kind of like looking at that, you know, the popular kid from high school or from college that you were obsessed with. And you look at them at their 10 year reunion, they're like, really?
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Whereas Laura literally just goes out of her way, doesn't say anything, and sets up a whole show for him.
2: Mm-hmm. It knows what he needs yeah. and, and gives it to him despite him, like to get around himself even in spite of himself.
1: Right. Yeah. But Catherine zeta joness outfit in that one scene, great. It was, <laughs> You're
2: talking about the scene where they reconnect? It was like she, a
1: see-through. She looked great.
2: I mean, when does Catherine Zeta-Jones not look great?
0: This is one of her first American movies, I think, actually.
2: Really? I don't think I knew that.
0: 2000? Yeah, I think this is like just before she really became
2: big. I mean, that makes sense. That does track. I guess I didn't realize she had done more outside of it, but that, but that also, as I stopped to think about it, makes sense. But um, yeah, no, I think, and that's one thing that I think is also probably very intentional about the different relationships. So for one thing, I, again, I think the top five mechanism and the fact that that's like how he organizes his life, like he's there mm-hmm. constantly with his friends and he are describing things in terms of top five this, top five that, and it's like, it's so fascinating to me because then it doesn't seem like they're always necessarily ranking them in correct order. And it also seems like that five allows you to have it not be like, if somebody were to say like, what is your top movie? What's the best movie? Your most favorite movie? Mm-hmm. Like that's a virtual impossibility for me to say. But if you were to like, say what's your top five all time movies, that's a lot easier for me to then grasp it. I can pull from other things. And, and even that's kind of probably still fluctuates, but yeah. the different, relationships I think are very intentionally designed to represent sort of not only stages of life, but forms of love. So the very first one, it's totally just, you know, nothing but puppy love. He thinks it's everything. And then it was literally not even a blip on this woman's radar. Like she clearly <laughs> found love with her, with his friend that she made out with second and just lived the rest of her life with the narrative that that was her first and only boyfriend. <laughs> But for him, that, like, puppy love mattered. And then there's the um, love that is attaining the thing that's hard to get to. Like, we talked about sort of the um, the Catherine Zeta-Jones character. Then I think there is, and I'm trying to think of how to place it, but the woman that was the one who he, like, harmed her in terms of...
1: Her mental health.
2: Yeah, her mental health. And, may- and maybe what it is is, like, the love where you don't realize... Um, how, like it's almost the flip of the Catherine Zeta-Jones where he was mm-hmm. thinking you know things were not what he wanted but she actually clearly was head over heels for him and that's what's articulated in the conversation that they have and then the last one who's the woman from The Haunting uh, is like oh, wait, I about self-loathing love it's like that place <laughs> when you're sort of like
1: no I think it's s- settling oh They settled for each other. They didn't even like each other. Okay,
2: I'll give you that. I'll give you that. (laughs) But I also kind of think that maybe that's the same thing in terms of how I was going to think about it or describe it is like you're just doing it because you don't even like love. Like you're just like, whatever, I'm done with this. Right. And then the ideal, the eventual, that he finds with Laura is real love. Two very broken, very imperfect people who see their imperfections and decide to accept each other and love each other despite those imperfections
1: Yeah, oh. <laughs> i think that's pretty good I will... something else
0: that i no- sorry go ahead no Danny. you go you go i was gonna say that something else i noticed about this and dan i think you kind of reminded me of this when you're talking about like the women's perspective in this movie the fact that he is all broken up and pissed off when he finds out that Laura has slept with Ian. Mm. When meanwhile he goes out and, he, and then he has a one night stand with Marie DeSalle.
2: Mm-hmm. And it's like yes. it's,
0: there's no awareness there of the, and it, that whole, and I feel like the film is maybe not in such an obvious way, trying to comment on that dichotomy. The fact that he gets so excited, the fact that he finds out that she hasn't slept with Ian yet, that he goes out and he sleeps with another woman. <laughs> and then, when he, and Then when he finds out that she has slept with him, then he gets all pissed off and
2: angry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a lot of that going on.
1: But I mm-hmm. think he gets even more angry when she says, I haven't slept with him, but I sleep better with him or something like that. Like It was a very interesting line of like, they sleep together, they haven't made mm-hmm. love, but she said she sleeps better with him. Oh,
2: see, you thought he got more upset by that. The funny thing to me is that is the more meaningful statement. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But it seems to me because in that time, at that point, he's still not grown up yet. Uh, To Perry's point, I think he's like, he feels to me way more upset at the, like he's obsessing over the yet. And then he gets really pissed when she finally does. And it's like, dude, you missed the point. (laughs) Mm
0: -hmm. Sex. Yeah. I took it. I took it that way too. He was more obsessed about the physical thing, the, the act of having sex. And he's like, wait, you haven't, because it was that whole masculine thing, like who's better type yes. of thing, right? That whole, that whole dick measuring thing. Yes. Is what he's, it is what he's worried about.
1: That's funny because the other line was more impactful for me as a woman because to me that like means more that she feels more comfortable oh. with him rather than.
2: I think Absolutely. Perry and I are in agreement in terms yeah. of like what is designed and what actually is important. Yeah. But that's also like, as Perry and I are discussing, I can imagine times in my life where there would have been part of me that understood that. Like always, but still would have been more pissed and more curious about the like, but have you slept with him? Because it's that whole dick measuring. It's that toxic masculinity. It's that I have to be better than this other male type of thing. And the only thing that matters in that immature boyish view of things is all Mm -hmm. the sex. Like, is he as good at sex as I am? So you miss the important piece. I agree.
1: Oh, I thought you said he I missed. missed it. No, no, he missed. Not <laughs> yeah. miss. like, you, yeah. you as in <laughs> like,
2: the royal you. The royal you. Apologies. Yeah. I meant like you, any other guy who's still in that phase, yeah. is missing like that was a yeah. olive branch on her part. You know what I mean? To be like, hey, the reason our relationship wasn't working because you don't get this.
0: <laughs>
1: mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and, and she's and what she said, you're right. That was clearly intended to to hit him. Yes. Right? She said, sleeping together is better. Like, cause mm-hmm. she doesn't. She goes out of her way to make that point. Yes. And and then he's like, he's like sleeping together better. She's like, yeah. And he's like, but not the sex. You haven't done that yet. <laughs> she's like, yeah. And he's like, and she's like, can you go now? He's like, okay. And he goes out and then he's all happy. He's like, excited. he's like, she hasn't had sex yet. Yeah, yeah. And he missed it completely. You're it just right. went right over his head. Yeah. Dumb, dumb, dumb.
2: Okay. But I- to that point too, I think that, so then also he, Marie de Saab, he sleeps with her and then walks away. Like clearly does not have mm continued relationship with her which i think articulates that lack of caring but he you start to see that's like the first time where he starts in my opinion talking about his own guilt and his own contrition and he's like i feel icky for having done this like i still did it but i recognize it wasn't the right thing to do and then eventually same thing with the the reporter he like has that opportunity and she points out like, and she doesn't even, actually, I think she doesn't even say anything. She just kind of says like, oh, you know, he's like, I'm making a mixtape for this person. And then on his own, he realizes like, oh, that's this like intimate thing that I should not be doing with another human being if I'm in a relationship. Sorry, Perry, you were gonna say something. I was
0: gonna say, um, I had never paid attention to the structure of this movie until last night. And then, and I'm watching the scene when he comes out of the apartment, I'm like, wait, I'm curious what, and I check it. It's right at the halfway point.
1: Right.
0: Oh. When he comes out of the when he comes out after she tells him she hasn't had sex with Ian yet. Oh. And and so then he goes out, he goes out with Marie de Salle, and and he says, you know, that, that oh he's saying, he's like, you know, we you know, we decided that it's not what you like, it's what it's not what you're like, it's what you like, right? You mm. know, books, mm-hmm. movies, records, these things matter, these things are important. And he's like, by that standard, I'm having the greatest date of my life. And you see it, like they agree on all this stuff, they like the same things. They go to bed. She's, you know, she's a beautiful woman. She's, you know, she's talented. She's intelligent. All this stuff on paper should be like the perfect girl. And then the next day, right? Like he says, but then the next morning. And nothing serious happens between them the next morning. Right. It's just something's just not right. Something's just not clicking. And that's kind, so it's like that whole thing. The whole midpoint is, you know, it's like it's that false victory thing that he uh-huh. has. Like, he thinks he's won and then he realizes way to. And it's that's really the turning point, I think, when he starts to realize, OK, it's not because the f- whole first half of the movie, the whole idea seems to be that the only reason he wants Laura back is, again, that idea of having a girlfriend, sure. that, mm-hmm. I, that being in love with the idea of being in love as opposed to being in love with the person. And the second half of the movie is him kind of realizing that, no, it is Laura specifically he wants back. Yes. Yeah,
1: Yeah, and I also think it's very, you see him grow up in the scene where he has to go to the funeral. Yep. Like mm-hmm. that whole part. That, like, that is real. That's real life. And, like, early on in our relationship, I think my grandma died early yeah. on. I know my grandma died. I can't confirm my grandma died. I just.
2: The exact year you were. Yeah. yeah.
1: And so I think that is like when people are in their hardest moments is the most telling of like, he could have run or he could have not gone. He (laughs) thought about it and wasn't even planning on it, but then went anyways. And I think that meant the most to her. And that's when she was like, okay, all right. And she got back on board with him too. But I have one question for you, Nick, and maybe Perry, you can answer it too. Because during the movie, Uh Nick was like. Man, they were both jerks to each other or something oh, okay. like that. Okay, I wonder when those you come back up. You kept saying yeah. they both did something wrong, and I said, what do you mean? I don't think she did anything wrong in the relationship, she meaning Laura. Why did you say that you thought Laura was in the wrong?
2: Okay, so for a couple of things. Uh, for starters, I think that I, we had that conversation possibly before. the full turn or it was like during the full turn uh, where you like so I love one of the mechanisms of this movie is they give you an unreliable narrator where he is only giving you sort of a positive rosy picture of I've done nothing wrong in any of these relationships all the way through to the point where then it turns and you're like oh while they were together he slept with someone else while they were together, he slept with someone else while she was pregnant. And while she was pregnant and he slept with someone else, that partially led to her choosing to, they say, terminate the pregnancy. I presume that means, like, she, she got an abortion. She said she got an
0: abortion. She said an abortion after that. Yeah. yeah. Okay.
2: Um. So all of that then, to me, is a couple of layers. One, uh, she manipulated him in terms of and this this still holds true regardless of what happened before that but she manipulated him in terms of her choice of words for like have you ever thought about being with someone else and you know he kind of like hemmed and hawed said no or whatever was like waiting to see and then she like tricked him into admitting yes and then that's when she said she had other feelings too and so like she clearly was manipulating that situation not great for her when they talk about the abortion and woman's body woman's choice I'm not by any means trying to say that she didn't have the right to do this but I do think that to be sort of angry at him or to blame him for for the pregnancy and and like uh him sleeping with someone else like he didn't know that she was pregnant when he went and slept with someone else like is it ever really excusable to sleep with someone no not necessarily but like this is where I'm trying to say of I think that they both had done each other wrong neither one of them was entirely innocent because while she may have manipulated him and done those other things and lied to him or hid things from him that I think he should have had the right to know about uh clearly he's not a good person by any (laughs) any of the other examples that we have given here too so that would be my case for why I think she has maybe flawed as well uh Perry I'd love to hear any other thoughts you have before Daniel yeah
0: I've got some thoughts on that um (laughs) I think that like I think where she's I where she's in the wrong is the way she phrases that to Liz. Right? Because I think she's phrasing it to Liz in a way that looks like it was all intentional on his part. Mm-hmm. But the way again we have we have the problem of an unreliable narrator. Right. When he's talking when he's relaying about that that true story behind the conversation, we're not actually seeing that conversation. So I don't think we can really say that she tricked uh, him into it. Okay. I think we're still looking at the case of him trying to justify his actions and what he had said. So I'm not so sure we can say that. Also the fact that he completely glosses over the, um, the fact that he slept with someone else when he's trying to justify his actions. Like that, that jumped out to me a lot this time where he's like, he's like, yes, I slept with someone else, but then, then he jumps into something else. I'm like, okay, wait, 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 wait. You're still trying to, you're still trying to play the justification game. You're still trying to make excuses for yourself. So I don't think she was wrong. I don't think we can, we know enough about what happened in that scene with that conversation to say she was wrong in that. I definitely don't think she was wrong in keeping the abortion from him. I, I totally understood her point of view on that and all that. Um, And she didn't necessarily in that moment, it didn't seem like she blamed him directly for the abortion, but um Right. Because he said he didn't seem to indicate that in that conversation they had about the abortion. His reaction makes it worse, I think, because when he said he went and he does admit to his credit, he does admit that it was, you know, ill-advised self-righteousness. But I don't think she was bad in any of those situations. I think it was just more the way she was phrasing things to Liz, which in this context, I can kind of understand because Liz only has Rob's perspective and um, Laura's trying to. Illustrate probably in a maybe a bit of a um what's the word I'm looking for? Probably not the best way she's mm. trying to illustrate. No, he's not the he's not as good as you think he is.
2: Sure. She's trying to make her case in that moment. So of course she's gonna kinda slant it in a way.
1: Right. Um, which is what he so I, does the entire movie. Which <laughs> is what he does the entire movie. Yeah. yeah. So which she's maybe not even doing
2: goes,
0: anything that he's not doing. But which maybe goes I back to think,
2: both of our points. Sorry to interrupt, like a, they're both doing it. That was the point I was trying to make: is that it's both. But to Perry's point, if it if we're talking about an unreliable narrator, maybe that's how he's presenting it, because that is how he would have done it. Mm-hmm. Sorry, what were you going to say, Perry?
0: Yeah, I, I think I think I side more with Danny on this. I think. It's, <laughs> Thank you. I don't think she really did anything wrong. I think maybe you could you could say, okay, you're probably slanting things a bit in that discussion, but that's probably the most. And then I got to reach to say that that she's doing something wrong in that
1: moment. Yeah, and I also think. Again, thinking in terms of like we've been together for like we're going on nine years now, which is a long time. Heck yeah, uh, heck yeah, and uh, it's a very natural question, especially like but they were both clearly like not ready to commit. Of like, do you think about other people? Is are you like we've be, we've had that
2: moment in our relationship for because sure.
1: his last relationship was their girl was like oh I did meet someone else you know they were kind of just like in that holding place until one of them did. So I think she wanted to make sure that's a very natural, like, if you want to marry someone, you do want to make sure that <laughs> they're not going to eventually just find someone else and leave you. Right. So I, I think it's a natural conversation. And he took it because he's very selfish and self-righteous. And he was like, ha, permission to go.
2: Um. I don't know well, uh, if permission to go from that part of the conversation, although I, I do have to.
1: Or maybe it put self-doubt in his head. Two.
2: Yes, and so here's where I will say about this. So a couple things. I, I'll back down uh, <laughs> for one thing. Uh, I especially like the other way of like if you if you play it as the unreliable narrator, then maybe any case that I could have made for her making poor choices is absolute bullshit because you don't actually know that that's exactly how it played out. Because I, I agree with you, Perry. I think maybe more of the problem is how things are done, not necessarily the exact choices. What I was going to say about the the question. To me, that is an important question, and and Perry, I'd love to hear if you have any thoughts on this, but because we've had that conversation, I think if you're going to be with someone for the rest of your life, it is only natural that there will come a time at some point when you find a different human being other than your spouse or life partner attractive. Mm-hmm. The question is, what do you do with that thought, reaction, response? You know, and we have, through lots of conversations, gotten to a point where now we, like, literally just kind of point them out to each other and might even say, like, yeah. oh, man, isn't this person hot? Oh, yeah. man, can you look at those pecs? God. Uh, um, So getting to that place is a different thing where I think, earlier and more immature relationships it would seem because and this is a little a big part of it is like he's they're so insecure it's the I'm so afraid that this fragile thing is going to go away so I it would be surely it would be detrimental for me to admit to you Mm -hmm. that I find another human being attractive and eventually then we get to the reporter where he still has that attraction there's this flirtation that exists and we've Mm -hmm. talked about this a lot on this podcast love is a choice and he has the opportunity. There's clearly this chance where maybe he could have made something of that. And in the past, he's made the wrong choice. We know that because he cheated on her. We know that because he sleeps with uh, Desab. And, and like, now he's making the choice of, no, I'm going to make this active pursuit over here instead.
1: Yeah, I think that is the turning point when he does not cheat on her. <laughs> I'm just <laughs> saying the conversation earlier and all the things that happened earlier in their relationship, it's rough and it's a lot on him.
2: Well, but-, but- specifically about the do you think of other people i think both of them because she clearly went off and then went with that other guy that she was thinking of that's that's the other thing is like she they they, okay so this is a layer we Uh didn't talk about sorry (laughs) i meant to mention this but like they had moments where they laid in bed together intimately laughing at this other guy and then that's who she chose to go be with.
0: That's that's the biggest thing I can't understand about this movie.
1: Why the fuck
0: would she choose this guy?
1: <laughs> yeah, I wrote he is very creepy.
2: I think yeah. it is because he's so very much in many ways the opposite. And because, there. and this is where I'm getting at, like she's not a perfect person either. I think some part of her realized that how much it would have hurt him. Like, because they'd had this laughable thing, and because Mm. he likes seeing himself as better than other people, the idea that she would go choose to be with someone who they openly discussed laughing at and finding as a laughable character. Like, I would choose to be with this laughable character over you. That's a rib at him intentional, I think.
0: Do you ever watch um, How I Met Your Mother? Yes. So there's that one episode where they talk about the overcorrection. Okay. And I think that I think I think that's kind of what you're describing with why she goes for Ian. It's, it's just like over
2: from being with Rob. Yes. I can totally <laughs> see that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But um, on the whole
0: on the whole aspect of, you know, finding other people attractive, um, and it made me think of another movie. Uh, and I was thinking of this movie as I was watching this one is uh The Last Kiss. Um I with Seth Braff. Seen that. Um oh, and Zach. uh Yeah, it was like in the early 2000s, um it was with Zach Braff and
2: uh, it was Tom his Wilkinson. second directorial, right? I think maybe, no,
0: he didn't direct it. I think he just, I think he just starred in it.
2: Okay. Anyway, continue. Uh, but I'm but it was not, like I his
0: second big movie after um, uh, garden state.
2: Yeah.
0: And uh, Rachel Bilson was in it too. But anyway, there's this, um, there's this one scene at the end. So, you know, if you haven't seen it, basically the whole thrust of the story is Zach Braff is um, with this, with this woman, uh, they're about to have a baby and he gets tempted by uh, this um, university student. Okay. And he ends up um, he ends up going out with her one night, but he doesn't sleep with her, right? He kind of pulls back and then he goes back to his wife and his wife finds out that he was out with her. And he's like, I didn't sleep with her. I came back. And then she kicks him out of the house and then he goes back and he sleeps with her. Ugh. And um, at the end of the movie, she's at her parents' house and he's coming over to try and win her back. And the, her father comes outside and he talks to him and he's like, and, and he, and, he, and he's saying, and he's, his father's, and her father's trying to get him to explain like, why, why would you let, why did this happen? And, and Zach Braff's character is like, you know, I just got, you know, I found this cute little brunette. She liked me and I just, I faltered. Yeah. And, and he's like, and, and Tom Wilkinson says, has this really great part where he says, he's like, do you think this is the last pretty young brunette who's going to gonna tell you she wants you. He's like, look at me. I haven't seen my last brunette.
2: <laughs> <laughs> that is a great line. And I think it's mm-hmm. true. I think that's absolutely true. Um, yeah. It's also
1: related to the, and then we can get back to this movie, but the scene in, I don't like this movie either, Love Actually, <laughs> you know, where uh, Snape, <laughs> Ellen Rickman buys the necklace for the secretary Mm -hmm. very very heartbreaking but yeah i guess i mean and that maybe makes this movie even more real because it is showing the reality of relationships it is i I am glad that this exists out there because i'm so sick of the fairy tales of like marriage is easy relationships Mm -hmm. are easy you fall in love and then good for you like it takes a lot of freaking work and i even sent Nick a TikTok today of Michelle Obama saying there was 10 years where she really just didn't like Barack. <laughs> she was like, our our relationship wasn't great. We didn't like each other that much because there was just like that. The other and all stressors. This stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So it is showing the reality of, of dating. And he chose that reality. He chooses the reality that Laura is in because he's like, this is the good one. This is not the great one. It's not spectacular. It's not bad. It's just the good one. So I think that's that com- real.
0: Yeah, that conversation he has with her when he tells when he talks about the difference between the fantasy and reality. Like I even at the time, I even though I was still very much with my 20-year-old brain, I'm still like, This this seems like an important conversation. And Mm -hmm. and now after having been in relationships, having been married, now I'm looking at that, I'm like, Oh yeah, that is actually really true.
2: Yeah, I think so I wrote this down. The thing that he specifically said. Uh, at least the two parts of the quote that stuck out to me. I'm tired of the fantasy. You all mm-hmm. have said that, mm-hmm. but then his way of saying it is, I never seem to get tired of you. Mm-hmm. Which well, that yeah, is and th- cause huge. He says
0: it, right after that, he says, I'm tired of everything else as well. Cause he's this, it's not only about his love life, but this is also about like his existence, his existence, right? His whole life has been in a rut. Basically. This is kind of him trying to get out of that rut. And she's trying to help him with that. Like you said, Uh, Danny earlier, when you talked about how she organized this whole release party for him behind his back and all that, because this is what he needs. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that scene where he comes back home and she's there on the, and she's reading his list of top five careers. And number five is architect. And she's like, why do you want to be an architect? And he's like, I don't know. I don't even really know if I want to be an architect. He's like, wouldn't you rather own a record store than be an architect? He's like, yeah, I guess so. Mm -hmm. She's like, okay. So then put that on there instead.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And just even helping you realize sometimes, the, the blessings that your life has is that you need an external perspective to do that sometimes.
1: Yeah. All right. I don't hate this movie, <laughs> but I will say the ending. So we're getting to the ending. The yeah. ending is very much like he tells her all these things and she goes, thank you for asking me. Like he basically proposes and she just goes, thank you. And then the movie ends. It was, I just didn't expect that.
2: Well, as we were just discussing, it, it, the movie is intentional about not being a fantasy. It is all about not the fantasy. If it still then ends on the tropey fantasy of, and they lived happily ever after. That's true. Like that's just the beginning of their journey.
1: Yeah, that's true. They do have a lot of shit to work on <laughs> <Yeah>. still. <laughs> but well, I think does. Too, it,
2: it does echo
0: that conversation he had with his mom earlier where he says to her, he's like, Laura didn't even want to get married right? That, that's not the kind of thing that happens. I don't think he was just saying that. I think it was, maybe she really doesn't believe in the idea of marriage. There's or, lots of the, people who don't. Right. Yeah. And, and maybe, so maybe that was true, but maybe it was just the, the point was just him. It wasn't, the point wasn't that she says, yes, the point was he has to get to a point where he can ask, he wants to ask that question.
2: Yes. Yeah. Yes. That's, I did not even catch that or, cl- or put those two together, Pair, I think you're right. That's her version basically of saying yes, because she's maybe not interested.
1: Yeah. Now, it's can, she can confirm he's committed to her.
2: Yes. Mm-hmm.
1: Doesn't yeah. mean she wants to marry him, but she knows that he's committed.
2: And recognizes right. and thanks him for, like, the, the gesture that is the step of, of making that proposal. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, since you don't hate the movie, we might as well get to our heart ratings and uh, whether or not we would renew our vows. So listeners, if you're new, our heart ratings are supposed to be some form of an objective uh, rating, how good we actually think the movie is on a scale of zero to five. Um, and then we will do a renew our vows. Basically, do we think we will want to see this movie again uh, or could we live the rest of our lives without ever having to watch it? I will go ahead and go first. Um, the more we've talked about this, I was back and forth between a couple of, I think I'm going to give it a four out of five hearts, uh, for me in terms of just the quality of the movie. I think a lot of the good things we talked about, uh, in terms of the pacing and and some of the really witty dialogue work, uh, but it's dinged for me in terms of how some of it doesn't hold up for all of the many reasons that we also discussed. (laughs) Um, I would renew my vows. I think I actually would want to maybe watch this again because I was having some of these thoughts in a way that I did not have them. Um, I would want to go and watch it not necessarily, you know, tonight, but sometime sooner. Cause like I said, it'd been more than a decade since I last watched this movie. And, and one of the things I like about movies is how they can hit you in very different places depending upon when you watch them. So that's my feelings. I would like to see it again sometime sooner.
1: Great. Uh don't take the fence to this I would <laughs> give it like a 2.75 Wow all right I, all right I don't want to watch it again it was cringy and hard again as a woman I can see the merits of the movie and I can see how it is good to like to talk about real relationships and stuff but I just don't need to watch it again it's a bit manic. But we did it! said that there's the spin-off with Zoe Kravitz. I might check that out. I might be interested mm. to see where they go with that. So, I'm glad
2: to hear that. Cause I was thinking I might now that'll be our next it's, movie. It's, that we watch. it's good. It's a fun watch. show. It,
0: the, but the annoying thing is when you get to the end, there's not going to be a second season. And it, it ends on a point where they could leave it where it's open for a second season. Uh,
2: so,
0: Minks got canceled from
2: HBO max, by the way. Agree, oh, yeah. God.
0: Uh. Perry. Um, I think I'd probably go with the four as well. It's, there are aspects of it that definitely don't hold up as much as they used to. But I think the overall message um, resonates a lot more with me than it used to. So I think that kind of compensates for the things that don't hold up as well. Fair. So yeah, I think I'll I'll give it a four and yeah, I I, I would definitely watch it again. And I definitely, I would also recommend the, um, the the TV show as a alternate perspective. Cool.
2: Well, that sounds good. And we're going to go ahead and get a look at that. So uh let's go ahead and perry thanks so much for having a conversation with us yeah uh where can our listeners find you if they want to hear more of your thoughts on movies so um you can go to
0: superhero cinephiles.com uh that's the website for the podcast um or just search superhero cinephiles on any podcast app you use it'll pop right up um yeah we're at like about 100 and almost at hundred. We're like at 140 episodes so far. I've got recorded. Uh, Nick's coming on another one on RIPD. We're recording uh, next month, I think. And
2: looking forward to yeah, it.
0: it. It's a fun, it's a fun show. Um, we talk about big superhero movies. Everybody knows about, we talk about ones that are absolutely God awful. We talk mm-hmm. about ones that almost nobody has ever heard of. So we talk, we talk about all of them, um, some TV shows here and there. And if you want to look at, um, my writings, uh, my books are available at PercivalConstantine.com. I've got about 30 novels out so far.
1: Wow. And yeah. <laughs> That's impressive.
0: Thank you. Uh, you can find links to all my stuff on there. Um, uh, you can find links to my artwork at uh, DeviantArt mostly. Um, and since Elon Musk has apparently gone you know, psychotic, uh, I'm also on alternate social media networks. I'm on Hive at uh P-E-R- Constantine and I'm also on um uh Mastodon under oh god what is
2: that I hate, hate <laughs> <how laughs> uh, on
0: Percivalconstantine at mastodon dot online so that's that's me on that one never even heard that
2: um, one. oh mastodon and, yeah, that's that's the other thing besides hive that's the other one yeah I don't
0: have a
2: Twitter so um anything else you're probably a good thing
0: um yeah. <laughs> No, that's about it. Um, that's that's pretty, basically, the, the podcast, the books, all that stuff, you can find that at, at those places.
1: Yeah, Nick was like, anything else, he's like, oh, no big deal, I've just written 30 novels.
2: <laughs> I, I did want to say, um, listeners who have been listening for a while, uh, if you enjoyed our previous guest, Scott Mooney, who had written a uh, urban fantasy series, Pricked, uh, it sounds Perry. From uh, when I was looking some of your stuff up, you've done some urban fantasy as well, and may have within that thirty novels. There's at least some of that is, is a is a whole series. Oh, yeah. yeah,
0: yeah. Right now, I've got I've got a kind of like a urban fantasy universe type of thing. Cool. Um, started off with the Luther, Luther Cross series. That's six books, also set in Chicago. Um, I just finished up the Morning Star series. That's that's five books, and I'm starting a new one, which will be coming out probably early next year. Uh, which will also be set in that same universe, and all that stuff again. PercivalConstantine.com can all be found there.
2: Awesome. So all right. Cool. Well, listeners, go find that uh, if you're if you're into you know that kind of fantasy, just because I think it'll be in the same type of vein as our previous hosts. Danny, do you have anything to plug, knowing that this will probably be going out in January?
1: Yeah, dude. Just come to Comedy Sports.
2: What, what time, day?
1: <laughs> Thursdays at 7 p.m. at Piper's alley. There you go. In second city.
2: I was going to say, can't say the other one. <laughs> um, all right. Yeah. And Danny can be found on her socials at Danny Miami on Instagram It's pretty much the only one that she's at. And that's totally fine. I can be found uh, at Nick loves movies. That's N I C Nick L U V love at Nick loves movies on Twitter. Instagram. Uh, I don't think that's where I'm on Facebook. I'm never on Facebook anymore anyway. Uh, And then you can find our podcast account. We also are on Hive. I managed to nab the exact same at. So it's at the letter N, love with movies. All spelled out beyond that. So at in love with movies on Twitter, Instagram, Hive. Uh, and probably that's what I'll try to grab if we ever put it anywhere else um,
1: on Mastodon.
2: Yeah, whatever, whatever comes next in terms of Twitter being a dumpster fire and Hive uh, mm-hmm. being only run by two people who are probably overworked once they got a bunch of people trying to sign up for it. So find us over there and. I love you, Danny. I love you, Nick. We We love love you, you, Perry. Perry. Thank you very much for being with us. And we love you, movie lovers. Bye bye.
1: Bye bye. We did it!